This is the Way It Ought to Be podcast with Paul Desay and Brandon Andrus. Hey, this is the Way It Ought to Be podcast. This is Brandon Andrus, and I'm sitting here with... Paul Desay. The illustrious Paul Desay. I don't know about that, but hey, <laughs> it's good to be with you. Hey, man, good to be back. Uh, how have you been? Fantastic. How about yourself? Uh, wired and tired. That's right, man. You look it. <laughs> yeah, it's nonstop. Hey, so uh, last week, um, we jumped into this thing, and we talked a lot about polarization, divisions, and a lot of the cultural issues in our country where, you know, people are at each other's throats, and everything seems to be antagonistic, and uh, we just launched into it. You have any thoughts on last week? Yeah, so we defined the problem, right? You know, polarization, division. Uh, we talked about why, and we have different viewpoints on why. Uh, I'll speak to mine. I think we have an anxiety issue in our country, and uh, it's just easier having somebody tell us what to think, right? And yeah. so if somebody stands up and says, hey, follow me, um, it takes the complexity and makes it simple. Yeah. So, yeah, I've been thinking a lot about that. I think we do live in an age of anxiety, and I think that's one of the reasons why uh, people long to be part of a camp. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want a team, easy. Yeah, right? we do. And I, I think that that's the thing. I, I think inherent with wanting to belong and be a part of a team is many times we can take those ideas and believe that those are the best ideas. You know, we can start associating with them and then we look at other people who have different ideas and start putting them in other camps. Right. And then all of a sudden, before you know it, they're the enemy mm -hmm. and we're placing ourselves on a pedestal and it feels hierarchical. Yeah. And so, you know, there's all these in inherent problems. And what, as we discussed last week, it's not just one side of the political spectrum. No. It's not one side of the religious spectrum. Um, we're all guilty of it. Yes. I, I'm guilty of it. You are guilty of it. Maybe. I hope that doesn't sound ju no, 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 no. judgmental. No, I am Paul. guilty of it, man. You know, I was, uh, I was talking to, uh, I was talking to some people, I think this past week and there are people that I know through another podcast and we had this kind of get together, um, dinner and they looked at me and they said, so how do we fix this? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, Technically, this is the first time that I've met you live, <laughs> and th these are pretty weighty questions, but I've been thinking about this quite a bit, and one of the first things that I told them is I, I said my undergrad degree was in psychology, and one of the studies in social psychology that we talked about, which I think is one of the more intriguing, it's probably super unethical now to do this kind of stuff, but hey, back in the 50s and 60s when they did it, they just went for it, and they did all kinds of unethical studies, but they had kids at a camp, boys at a camp, and all week they had both sets of boys competing against each other. They had, you know, team, team identity. They had slogans and chants and all the things that would strengthen their identity as a part of a team. So these boys were at each other's throats all week with taunting, name calling, you know, we're seeing a real microcosm in how we behave from a macro level at this, you know, in the study. At, towards the end of it, it was becoming very hostile. So the researchers decided to have kind of a watershed moment where they created a problem where they said that there was a burst um, water line. And they said it was going to take all hands on deck in order to go out and fix the problem. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you have these two groups that have been antagonistic, name calling, taunting, threatening, what have you all working together collectively toward a singular task of getting the water because they needed it, right? In order for the camp to move on, both sides desperately needed something and they had to work together to get it functional again, to get it to work. Mm -hmm. And I told the couple who I was sharing the story with, I'm like, that's it. I mean, the fundamental question then becomes like, what's the watershed moment? What's right. the watershed event? What's the thing that transcends 
ideology? What's the thing that transcends um, identity, whether it be cultural, political, religious, uh, sexual, what have you, that can begin to bring people back together? Paul, what is it? Yeah, yeah. So, so what is the goal, the telos? What is, what is the thing that uh, we're shooting for, aiming for? Is it our own personal achievement and success? Or is there something when, it, when you look at humanity as whole that we're moving towards. And right now, I think we're so focused on our individual goals that we can't see what's best for the common good. And we can't fix that because we're not focused on fixing the water. We're focused on fixing my job problem or marriage problem or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and to be honest, there's really nothing that I can think of that connects people to such a degree where we can shed these identities that we've created that keep us divided. So really it, it, it comes down to like, you know, what's, what's the thing, right? I mean, you either have to have a nuclear event, <laughs> right? That completely yeah. obliterates everything and causes people to reevaluate their entire lives. But what got me thinking about this week's topic, and we said we were going to talk about the kingdom of God, and I, I need people before we even jump into this to like, okay, pull, pull it back, pull, pull yep. back a little bit. Let's let's uh, understand that we're not trying to enter the religious arena. Uh, we're not trying to speak religious vernacular. Um, there, there was something to what Jesus was saying, which I would argue is so widely, it is, in my opinion, it is the singular thing that has been misunderstood by the church of anything else that Jesus said. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Oh, for sure. It's misunderstood inside the church, for sure. Absolutely. And it's misunderstood in culture, for sure. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So l let me just ask you this, because sure. I'm going to tell you mine, but whenever... Let's say whenever you grew up and you heard anyone talk about or mention the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, which sometimes right, it's right. referred the same to, thing. What, what did you think yeah. of or what were you taught? Yeah, I thought it was the future. I thought it was eternal life, you know, post-mortem. Yeah, this is what you, you did. You followed Jesus or God or whatever, and if you were a good boy, you made it to heaven. And that was the kingdom of God. And at least that's what I thought when I first got into this whole thing. So, I mean, and that's much of what I understood. So what you said was distant. Oh, for sure. Future. Yep. Disembodied, meaning spirit yeah, yeah. floating around. Yep. Floating on clouds. Oh, for sure. With harps. Harps. Yeah, angels. Yeah, 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 yeah. You got it. Yep. Singing all the time. Yep, yep, yep. 24-7 <laughs> for eternity, singing songs you don't like. Yeah. And so how did we, how did we get there? I mean, there, there's a part of me that, looks at it and, I, and, you know, through some research and study, I mean, one of the things that threw everybody off was whenever they translated it in Matthew, they used the phrase kingdom of heaven. Right. And in the, and two other gospels, they use the phrase kingdom of God. Right. Right. And so tell me if I'm wrong, but the way that I always understood why that there was a difference is because Matthew was writing to a predominantly Jewish community and they would have not used Yahweh or God, Correct. so he replaced it with heaven. Absolutely right. But it wasn't referring to anything distant, future, disembodied, floating on clouds, playing harps. It was referring to what? Yeah, it was referring to Jesus as king inaugurating a new world, a new age, a new creation. So to me, that sounds Present? It is. It's present, but it's also, there's a piece of it is future. It's already, not yet, but it is definitely a present thing. Yeah. So it's present, it's embodied. Oh, yeah. For, and it's, it's here. Yeah. It's not distant. So, because one of the verses that I think of immediately uh, is whenever Jesus says, some people will say um, kingdom is over here, and some people will say the kingdom is over there. But I'm here to tell you, and this is a paraphrase, but I'm here to tell you that the kingdom of God is within you. Mm -hmm. And that's the gospel of John. Right. And whenever I started understanding that, that there is a dimension that I can embody and begin living out, it started changing how I viewed the rest of Jesus. I, I started reading Jesus differently because, as you know, the majority of the parables 
say the kingdom of God is like the kingdom of God is like. And as I went through those, I started thinking, well, if it's a present embodied state that I'm living in, what do these parables have to say to me? For sure. For sure. What, tell me just off the top of your head, what parable of Jesus speaking of the kingdom of God kind of rocked your world the most? Well, I mean, so the, the, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, like a mustard seed. Yeah. Small little thing. And the potential of the mustard seed is to gradually explode to be a very large bush, right? And so what Jesus was saying is definitely not talking about something future oriented. He was talking about a present thing. This kingdom is going to grow like a mustard seed. It's going to start really small and it's going to explode with growth. And so for me, as I took a look at those parables through fresh eyes, I noticed that they were all present. I mean, there was a couple of them in the future, but they were mostly about a present reality. Yeah. Something was happening that was changing the game, changing everything. And I want to say, I suggest to you, it's what we talked about last week, this idea of shalom, right? Okay, okay. It's this, the way things ought to be. Jesus came to inaugurate, to bring about this uh, way of life that it was always intended to be. Okay. And it's this, we talked about last week, this shalom, this completeness, this harmony, this fullness, uh, no more death, no more tears, no more pain, no more illness. Jesus came to demonstrate what that looks like in the flesh. Hmm. Yeah, that sounds crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Here, let me ask you a question. What do you think of when you think of heaven? I mean, the traditional way that anybody would think about heaven is, it, honestly, I hear people even say it today, is that even preachers, when they're preaching, is that they will literally point their finger up in the sky and say, when you go to heaven, and I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think that they've sent rockets up. I could be wrong, but <laughs> we haven't hit it yet, have we? I don't, I don't see heaven up there. I mean, certainly there are the heavens, which is the, the sky, sky. Right. but I would say that it's the, and I'm a, I'm a little bit radical when it comes to this stuff, but I would say that it's the domain or the, um, uh, yeah, I would say it's the domain in which God lives or dwells. And, and so for me, that could be dimensional. You know, that could be, um, uh, I see it as kind of like reality has been fragmented and divided all the way, you know, through and through. And and the the domain in which God dwells is one that is literally present, but is separated enough by a thin veil that it's not as apparent or, um, kind of rambling here, but no, no, no. I, I, I asked the I, question. I, so. I, I would say it's the domain in which God dwells. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So I think of heaven, I think of, uh, the beginning and I think of the ending stories, the first two chapters and last two chapters in the Bible. Yeah. First two chapters, the garden of Eden, heaven and earth connected. They're together. And because of, uh, sin, heaven and earth are separated. But then when we see the last two chapters, we see heaven and earth come back together again. In other words, shalom is restored. The garden is restored. The way things ought to be are restored. And so that's what Jesus came to start is the restoration of Eden, the bringing of shalom back to. So in uh, from Genesis 3 all the way through the Bible, everyone's divided. Yeah. You have camps now, you have nations, you have kingdoms. Everybody is on their own tribe and their own side. But Jesus came to bring things together, to make all things new, to restore shalom. So I see heaven coming to earth mm-hmm. through the life and the teachings and the death and resurrection of Jesus. So you would say that, and I would agree, I, I you would say that Jesus entered the equation of complete hostility, division, antipathy, you know, people at each other's necks, ideologically, politically, religiously, and that somehow through his life, what we find is a peace and a love and a grace and a mercy that begins to transcend all of the things that divide in in order to unite people towards something that is lasting 
and good. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So the picture is a table, right? The picture is a table. People sitting down, having a meal together. People from different sides. You got, look at the disciples. You got a zealot, a violent revolutionary. You have tax collectors. You have fishermen. You have people that typically would never be together. Jesus brings them together and then says, go and do this. And so these these disciples, these non-educated people would go out and they would share meals with people, Gentiles and Jews. So it was very much like last week we were talking about, uh, I, I mentioned the show uh, 30 days yes, and, and how they took two completely different people on the end of each spectrum and brought them together. And the thing that, that united them was sitting at a table, getting to know each other, being conversational and learning and seeing people as another human being. Right. And so Jesus demonstrated it and then told his disciples to go and do this. And it changed the world all around a table all with bread and a cup of wine, people were learning that they were created in the image of God, that they were all human beings, no, no matter what their their ethnicity was or their religion was. I mean, because we're talking about different religions here too, and they're sharing meals together, different ethnicities, races, different socioeconomic backgrounds, and people are coming together. In fact, I would say that was the thing that in the Roman Empire, that the third way was, it was so radically different that people would look into these house churches and see people sharing a meal. That's what worship service was. It wasn't, you know, a band on stage and a preacher. It was a meal. And seeing rich and poor and different races and all sharing a meal together, that was impossible in those days. And I would say it's impossible today. Oh, That's yeah. the deal. We, we're in the same situation that there was existing in the Roman well, Empire. Let me, let me throw this at you. I was yeah, thinking yeah. about this. I'm like, um, so... This is, I'm going to describe today, and you tell me if this resonates with the same time 2,000 years ago when Jesus was right in the midst of people preaching about the kingdom of God. Okay, go for it. Dualistic thinking. Absolutely. Hateful discrimination. Mm -hmm. Fearful xenophobia. Mm -hmm. Yep. We, they mentalities. Yep. You sure? Absolutely, <laughs> man. Uh, cyclical conflicts. Yep. Ethnic and religious prejudices. <laughs> For sure. Political animosities. Yep. Perpetual wars. Yep. I mean, there are people that could very easily dismiss this idea of the kingdom of God as being of another time, simplistic, completely irrelevant to the time that we live in. I would argue that just based on those simple descriptors, that it... <laughs> there. Th if it was relevant at that time, if the message of the kingdom of God was relevant at that time, it's absolutely relevant today. Absolutely. So, so we are a uh, have the opportunity before us to sit around a table and eat with people. Could it be as simple as that? People sharing meals together, looking each other in the eye, realizing that maybe I'm one side, you're the other side. But when it comes down to it, we have the same hurts. We have the same brokenness. We have the same uh, fears. And collectively, we realize maybe there is uh, a broken pipe. Yeah. There's water gushing. And maybe our neighbors and us sitting down at this meal, maybe we feel like we got to do something about it. So I want to veer off a little yeah, bit. Go so, for it. you know, when I think about the kingdom, so, so let's, let's, let's ground here. So to me, it sounds like that this message or this idea of the kingdom of God, it sounds very foundational. It sounds like it's the very basis of our humanity, right? Mm -hmm. it, it, it seems like if there are parts of us individually, relationally, communally, that is fractured or broken, that this is very really that which begins to piece the individual back together and give us identity. It very really gives us a template relationally mm -hmm. of how to uh, see another person, but then learn how to be merciful, graceful, and forgiving to another person. But then it is the template for how community ought to be generally. Am I off base on this? No, no. It reminds me of a story. Have you ever heard the story of Onesimus from the scriptures? 
Oh, yeah. The runaway yeah, slave, yeah. right? Yeah. So there is a story of an owner named Philemon or Philemon. You know what? We, we call him Philemon. He's Jamaican. Yeah, yeah. I, Philemon. I, I, I like that. Philemon, right? <laughs> and he has a runaway slave, right? And uh, the runaway slave embarrassed him, right? The runaway slave Onesimus ends up finding the Apostle Paul. Onesimus becomes a follower of Jesus. Paul turns around and says Onesimus back to the house church where Philemon was the leader of and says he is now your, your brother. And so Philemon is confronted with uh, the, the challenge of all challenges, him being uh, embarrassed by the runaway slave. Will he accept the slave now as a brother? And so that's the question. Now, we don't necessarily scripturally know what happened, but historically we do. Mm -hmm. They mended and they both became extremely important leaders within the church. So are we a lot like Philemon where we have to make the decision to accept the other side, to accept the people that are different because maybe we're just not all that different at all anyway? And I think that that's, that's a, a watershed moment for the church to see... Here's this slave come into the house. They're all gathered around. They're sharing the meal. And what will Philemon do? What will, would, how would you say? How do you Philemon. Say? Philemon. <laughs> what will Philemon do? And maybe the question is, what will we do? Will we do the right thing we know for humanity? Or will we uh, give in to the cultural suggestions and uh, stone him? Because that would be mm -hmm. the natural you know, within that culture that could have killed the runaway slave. So I think that that's the fundamental question, though. I think that that is the road bump that keeps most people from jumping into this idea of the kingdom of God is that, well, first, let me say, whenever you're talking, it sparked this verse from Jesus, this line from Jesus, where he said, those who are with me gather and those who are against me scatter. And I mm. think that's a perfect descriptor of the kingdom of God, because in one sense, those who are with the way of Jesus, of being peaceful, nonviolent, forgiving, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, um, other centered, you know, self-sacrificial, there's something um, productive, you know, it's gathering, it's, it's, there's a mess that's out there and we are productive. We are a part of fixing the problem. Those who are against me scatter are people who continue to perpetuate the issue and the problem, continue the fracturing and the breaking, continue while others are gathering, they're still taking the parts and the pieces and scattering them and creating more of an issue. And, and I think it goes beyond just you know, you talk about Philemon, you know, everybody's looking at him like, you know, what's the guy going to do in the moment? And I think there's a very productive way that we can enter into or a very destructive oppositional way. And, you know, I think that that's, that's the thing. And not the kingdom of God not only gives you an identity, but it gives you a purpose. And so the fundamental question I think is why, why would we even want to enter into that? Like it, it sounds good. It sounds productive, but is, is it just more fun to break things and, <laughs> and run rampant? What's the deal? So, I mean, I don't know. I, I, deep down, deep down, I know the way things ought to be. Yeah. And I mean, take away religion, take away American, take away the way things are. Deep down, I know that people should love one another. It's something inside. And I know that that's the way things ought to be. And that's been planted in, in me. I think it's been planted in everybody. We know it deep down. I mean, look at kids. Look at the way kids operate and the way that they play together, right? They're, they're demonstrating the kingdom of God without knowing it, right? They share things. Well, not all kids share things, but you know <laughs> what I'm saying. Kids, kids don't know how to discriminate until they're taught how to discriminate, right? Yeah. And so I think that it's deep in we know, and we oftentimes in church we talk about original sin. I would I would say that there's original good planted in every single person. Yeah. And so what if this thing that's been planted in us and every human being, we allow that dream to flourish? Hmm. That we know is there, 
But, you know, and I think that's the, the telos, the goal. We, got, we have to have a dream to see people become a family, to see a table where people share a meal so that we leave a legacy to our kids and our grandkids and those beyond of something healthy and beautiful that we know the way things ought to be. So then why is the king, the idea of the kingdom of God? Yes, misunderstood, but why within the church is the idea of the kingdom of God so radical? Okay. So, you know, we, we use this word gospel, right? And that's a well, churchy word, this, right? This may turn into another episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Jesus said the gospel is the kingdom. Yeah. The gospel I come to share the good, the good news, news of the, of the kingdom, kingdom of God. God. Right. So this is the good news. Yeah. This is the good news that the church is supposed to proclaim. Can I throw in something? Do it. This is my, this is one of my faves. So I, I've asked people in the church, I've said, what is the gospel? And what do they say? Jesus died for your sins so you can go to heaven one day if you pray the sinner's the, prayer or the whatever. Right? Death, burial, and resurrection. Right. Okay. So death, burial, and resurrection. Yep. And then I say, so Jesus said that he preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. So how is it the death, burial, and resurrection? Because if Jesus preached the gospel, he was still alive. Mm -hmm. You know, it raises a really... So my point was, is that if there is something good, if gospel means good news, if there is a good news, good message, good tidings to announce to the world, that certainly it must be more than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Certainly that can be an exclamation point on the end of the sentence, but there has to be something inherent in what Jesus was preaching and the way he was living that informs us of what the kingdom of God is and why it's such good news. So it's not just like you would say a something we aspire to in the future, you know, where everything is reunited and restored and good and whole, but we can begin embodying that wholeness presently. We can begin embodying that mission of reconciliation, of putting the pieces back together presently. So that, that to me is the good news. It's whenever the, the kingdom is a present embodied reality that we can begin living presently that brings the shalom of God, the wholeness, the completeness, the fully integrated humanity into this life. So to me, that, that's what it is. Oh, right, right. Yeah. It starts like a mustard seed, really small, but it has potential. Reminds me of a story. My daughter was probably two years old. We had our first house in Middletown, Ohio. I was at work 45 minutes away. My wife was with my daughter. And for whatever reason, she locked herself in the bathroom. So the bathroom had, I don't know how, old house had a deadbolt. Somehow she got in the bathroom and flipped the deadbolt and why do you need a deadbolt in the bathroom? That's that's the question of all questions, right? Somebody hey, wanted privacy. I, I need a deadbolt <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the bathroom. So uh, my wife calls me and says, Rebecca's in the bathroom, locked herself in the bathroom. She's two years old. She can't flip it back. She's not strong enough. And I like, okay, I'll be home in a second. So 45 minutes, you know, drive and got there in 20, right? So I'm there. I, I walk in. Um, Stacy's uh, putting uh, Cheerios underneath the door to keep Rebecca, you know, going. I said to Rebecca, all right, all right, get in the shower. So she goes, she, she goes in the shower. She pulls the, the curtain. And, you know, long story short, I, I give a little kick to the door and then I give it a big kick. And it's shattered into a million pieces. Not really. It just broke a little bit. And I was able to get in there, right? Yeah. So I go in there and, uh, you know, big dad rescuing daughter. She's in the bath. Bath. I pull the curtain back. And there she is. She thought she was going to take a shower. So she had her clothes off and everything. She hates it when I share that story. <laughs> right? But the purpose is, I mean, you, if, if you love somebody, you'll knock down any door to get to them. Right? I mean, that, that's whatever dad or mom will do yeah. for their kids. And I, I really think that, you know, when 
Apostle Paul was talking about the gospel, he talks about this, this wall being knocked down. Yeah. This thing that divides us, that separates us from one another. And he was talking about different ethnicities, Jews and Gentiles, that people really hated each other, right? Yep. And he says this gospel, this good news, this is this dividing wall has been torn down, it's been knocked down. And I think that's what Jesus did. He it came to knock some down, doors down so that people can share a meal together, be family together. These two groups of people that were in opposition, two tribes are brought together through the message of Jesus. Isn't that, is that any different than the way things are now? I mean, well, we are two tribes. It, yeah. Is this kingdom of God a an invitation to a different way, a third way, a different way of being, a different way of loving, a different way of operating that knocks down walls and brings people together? I mean, I'm naive, I know, but you know, this is what I think about is, is it, can it start like a mustard seed here where right where we are, right where you are, where you're listening, can this idea of bringing people together, can it start? Is it that simple? I mean, there's two part. I mean, there, there's two sides of me. There's a really super cynical side that says, I know people that can't even get together with their families for Thanksgiving yeah, I know. or just a meal at all. There's another part of me where I think about the way that my heart used to be and as divided in my mind, I was against everybody and how this love of God of continually beckoning me and, and calling me to change and to see people differently changed my heart. And, you know, I'm not perfect at all, but I'm just saying that it, 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 we're, we're all taking our first steps all the time, right? We're all students all the time. And so I'm not trying to pretend that I'm far down the line, but I, I'm, I at least want to give kind of testament to the fact that I used to be the worst of the worst. You know, I, I was in the camp. I was the hyper political. I was the hyper zealous. I was the hyper fundamentalist. I was my way or the highway. My way is always right. And I don't know that there's any remedy to that without heart change, without, you know, for me, it was, it was unexpected. It was kind of the Christ coming into my life. And like, I mean, it's metaphorical, but it's like scales falling from my eyes. It's like these lenses through which that I viewed all of the world all the time. This is the enemy. This country is bad. This country is good. These people, because of their political ideology, these people, because of their sexual orientation, these people. And it's like, all of a sudden God was like, no, I'm breaking every single bit of that down. And you know what? It was terrifying. It was so terrible. It was the most beautiful thing ever. But I was like, people are going to kill me. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Because all of a sudden your identity and the way that people have identified you, that begins changing because there's something permeating and cracking whatever kind of calcified foundation that you've had and just obliterating it. And, and what supplants it, what takes its place, what roots in it is that small little mustard seed of love, mustard seed of love that just is planted. And I don't know if you know much about that particular mustard seed, um, researched it a long time ago. I'm super geek. I remember it, but the classification, and I could be completely wrong, but I'm just going to say it cause it sounds smart. It's called the brassica negra. And it's, it's a seed that was out of control. It was invasive. So it would not only grow up, upward toward the sky and tower, but it would grow outward and take over everything in its place. Hmm. To me, that's what starts happening with that tiny little seed of God's love in your heart is that it begins that invasively taking over everything that used to be in its place mm -hmm. and supplanting it and pushing awesome. it aside and invading it. And it's like, you know, we, we can talk about it in very flowery, big theoretical language, but like there is a real heart and soul and blood and tissue and emotion to this where real people who are caught up in 
deep ideological ideas and political machinations and all of these things, all of this can come undone with the love of God. And it's not a theoretical construct because I'm living proof that something can change in your heart, in your whole mind, your heart, mind, and soul changes. Hmm. That's awesome. It reminds me when Jesus says, uh, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Yeah. In your midst. Yeah. Yeah. Right yeah, now, right, right here. Now. And, and that word repent again, another churchy word, but it, it, the word means to change your allegiance. Yeah. And, you know, I think oftentimes these tribes that we were a part of is where our heart, uh, where we pledge allegiance to, and it could be a nation or it could be a political party or a religious ideology, but we give our heart to it, whatever it is. And when Jesus came to pronounce the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of Shalom, he was, he was saying, no, no, Give your heart to this, change this, this right here. Give your heart to this. Have faith, allegiance in this, the kingdom of of Shalom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and and so it is a heart thing. It is, it, and, and it disrupts systems, right? It does and, and because all of a sudden it starts valuing people on the margins. It starts, and, and it's not to the detriment of anybody else, but it's saying not, everything is not power and money and position and whatever. It's like, there is something very inclusive about the prostitute, about loving those on the margins, something about uh, the leper who's been pushed to the edge of society that has to stay from away from everyone else. It, the tax collector who was reviled by the entire community. And all of a sudden you see Jesus in the midst of all of these disparate people coming together and it, it upends systems because the power structure can't handle that. No, the power, the institution does not know how to handle bringing in people who are dis, um, uh, hetero, heterogeneous, right? It, it can't, it can't, all it knows is homogeny. Everybody has to be the same. We have to have the same pedigree. We have to have the same degrees. We have to have the same interests, likes, whatever, uh, stature, beliefs, what have you. And then all of a sudden it's like Jesus says, no, every single person matters and needs to be at the table. Mm. And that will get you killed. <laughs> it will, well, it got, it got him killed and, and it'll get us killed. And, you know, Jesus started his uh, inaugural address, the Sermon on the Mount, with those words in inaugural address of his kingdom by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit. Mm. And he gives these, these blessed statements, the Beatitudes. And for all those people on the margins that were listening to him on that hillside, they were welcomed for the first time. They were outcasts. They were ridiculed because they didn't have money. I think 90% of people were poor in that society. They, they didn't have money. They didn't have clout. They didn't have the degree. They didn't have the family name. They didn't have any of those things. And Jesus says, you are blessed. Yeah. Welcome to the party. Welcome to the kingdom. Welcome to the table. Uh, and they fed those people, you know, <laughs> feeding the 5,000 feet. You know, it just, it's mind boggling how to the lengths that he would, he went and he still goes to welcome uh, broken people into something special. So I'm going to flip the script again. Um, one of my favorite parables is the parable of the hidden treasure. And mm. you, I'm sure you're familiar mm -hmm. with that one. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a treasure that's been buried in a field. And the imagery of that, and, and the reason I bring this one up in particular is because I think it can set us off even further in this discussion is that and it's so, I mean, that parable is so Jesus through and through because he's the guy that would go in front of the people, preach a sermon, not explain it, walk away. And the disciples are like, I have no uh, idea what that means. What <laughs> you're not even going to explain it. And he's like, well, I'll explain it to you guys because you want to know, but he's like, I'm not explaining it to them. The parable of the treasure in the field, it's like, you have to find it. 
you have to go look for it. It's not a three-point sermon, Paul Desai. I'm sorry to break your, you know, your ego here. <laughs> I don't <laughs> preach three-point sermons, so. <laughs> but, you know, it, 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 it's, I think that kind of the 21st century church mentality is like, you know, do these things and you will be blessed and happy. And Jesus is like, screw that. He's like, if you want to find life, you got to look for it. Mm -hmm. You've got to ask for it. You've got to knock, seek, ask, and knock. You've got to, you know, it's like, here, here's the field. Good luck. <laughs> and, and, and I love it because I, I think that it, it really, at least for me, it, it, it's something that is anti-formulaic. It is something that causes a person to realize that it's not a self-help course. It's not something that um, can be handed to you, given to you, read in a book, whatever. Certainly there are things that can point you in direction and give, be markers, right, to help you, guide you along the way. But I think if you really want to find life, if you really want to find this treasure that's been hidden, it takes you going to look for it. Hmm. Seek first the kingdom. Seek first. I mean, and, and it all goes together and it makes complete sense. You know, it, it's funny. None of this stuff makes sense if it's future distant heaven. No, not at all. It has to be present reality embodied right now. Yeah. I mean, it, Jesus taught his disciples how to pray and he taught them the Lord's prayer. Uh, every rabbi would teach their disciples by giving them a prayer. And so this prayer was the prayer he gave the disciples. And there's that one phrase in this, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's not a future. No, the, the, no, no that's a present. Your kingdom come now, your will be done now yeah. on earth as it is in heaven. What's heaven? Well, at the end of the story or the beginning of the story, there's, it's, Shalom, right? It's the way things ought to be. No pain, no death, no tears, no, no illness. It's, it's thriving, flourishing life the way it ought to be. And so Jesus is saying that's what is to happen now. So what's... I'm just trying to be really cynical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing all my friends. Yeah, yeah. These are the, all these sermons. All my so. friends. They're like... So pie in the sky, yeah, Brandon, yeah. you are being so pie in the sky. You are so detached from reality. And e even though I feel like that we've kind of set this up in a way that, you know, grounds us a little bit of like, hey, you know, when this was first announced, where it ca where it caught people's attention and captivated the masses, um, the society and culture was much the same as it is today. What What is... What do you think is the downside of people not just jumping in head first of being like, you know what? I don't really understand the kingdom of God. I don't really completely know if I can do this, but what is it, Paul, that keeps people from just saying, I, I want to be a part of that. I want to just jump in. I want to be a part of it. I want to, I want to be transformed in love from the inside out to let it inform my relationships and everything that I do in my life. What keeps people from like jumping all in? Yeah. Be because yeah, I mean, is it too good to be true? Is it that, well, maybe. I mean, is it, I mean, there's a part of me that thinks we, we try to hold on to our hostilities. We try to hold on to our grudges. This group doesn't deserve that. They don't deserve this mercy. They don't deserve this grace. They don't deserve this love. So I think that there's a heart, uh, there, there's a part of it that tries to preserve our rightness. Right. But I think that there has to be more than that. Yeah. I, I, I think it's uh, one of those things that even within the church world, we don't demonstrate we read it in the scriptures, but we don't see the church practicing it. And, you know, I'm a pastor, so I'm, I'm speaking about myself. And so it's something that um, I, I think if it was demonstrated, uh, we would be much more apt to believe in it. But we don't see it. 
But we say the right words, right? Wait, 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 wait. That's that's it. We say the right words. I'm even saying some okay words here. You are too, right? But it's one thing to say the words. It's another thing to actually practice it. Because when you're sitting down at a table, it requires time. And for many of us, we're not willing to give of our time to someone else. Uh, we want to protect that. Uh, time is scarcity, right? And so there's just not enough time in the day. So we don't want to give away our time. And so I, I do believe in the good news of the kingdom of God. I believe that's the gospel, the good news that God is bringing people together. Uh, does, does that mean that you have to relinquish all identity that you have to like, can you not be at least proud to be an American, Paul? You can be American. You can be proud. I, I mean, I think the Apostle Paul said it this is your, your primary citizenship is is heaven. That's your number one. Okay. And so, there's so, going to be a lot of other things that will be number two and three and five and whatever. But, you know, it gets back to that heart thing. I think it requires to say my primary allegiance is this. Because ultimately we, we behave out of what we pledge allegiance to. Yeah. So the, the way that I kind of view it is that if there is in the future, this renewal of all things, okay, this reconciliation, this piecing back together and making whole all things, whether it be people, animals, all of creation, what have you, it, if that is in the future and what we are anticipating, I completely lost my train of thought. <laughs> Happens, man. Uh, I got so worked up on the buildup that I forgot what the payoff, the payoff pitch was. Uh, anyway, hey, do you have anything to add? And I'll think about it. Yeah. So we 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 talked about sharing a meal around the table. You know, I think that's a very very important element of this. But I think there's another element of it, and and it's this this word justice. Uh, it's a word that, again, it's a churchy word. It gets hijacked. It's a political thing now, right? Everybody's talking about justice and social justice and everything. But the Hebrew word for justice is to restore the original ideals. And it reminds me of this, this shalom that Jesus came to restore. Uh, it is an act of justice. It is about making wrongs right. And so whatever wrongs we see in the world, whether that is racism or um, other, other elements, we have the opportunity to, to right those wrongs. And I think that's a cause worth giving our lives to. Yeah. I mean, I think the kingdom, the idea of the kingdom of God is not to turn a blind eye to the injustices of the world at all. Right. I mean, even Jesus faced injustices all the time. Right. So it, it's not to turn a blind eye to it, but I would say, and this is um, kind of my two cents on it, is that we have a skewed perspective on justice and we err largely toward retributive justice, oh, which sure. means eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, tit for tat, will repay whatever evil with that evil itself or more, right? Through words, through uh, incarceration, through wars, bombs, whatever. There's actually a different way to view justice, which is kind of more restorative, where it, and, and I think that this is a foreign idea to a lot of people. I mean, I, I think that in the church, the idea of restorative justice is very foreign. And I think that this, it's probably too big of a subject to launch directly into, but I would just offer that if there's going to be a future with people who are embodying the kingdom of God, it's going to have to be a complete reorientation of our minds in terms of what, not, not just our minds, but our hearts in terms of how to live in a way that is just, but is working toward the interest of restoring the other person toward shalom. Mm, I would agree with on that. That's yeah. good. That's good. Yeah, I, I think, you know, we look at society, we see things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And so people of the kingdom work towards restoring 
the Garden of Eden, restoring shalom, restoring, you know, we talked about last time, reconciliation. It's this idea of bringing people to the table. Um, and I think that that, uh, I heard Tim Keller say, he says, shalom oftentimes uh, could be compared to a garment or a quilt. And uh, injustice wears the threads of the quilt down to where there's holes in the quilt. He says, justice is restoring and rethreading the quilt, the threads in the quilt, so that no one falls through the cracks. Mm. And I love that. I think it's a great way of looking at it. It's rethreading society with love instead of judgment or punishment. Yeah, that's it. That's mercy and forgiveness instead of hate and gossip. Um, and so for us, I think we are all invited to be the people we are created to be. We are created to live in a world the way that it was meant to be. And I remember my point, okay, which I will, I will add to that, is that we are not, not we, but I don't think the, the idea of the kingdom of God of creating this new people is trying to dissolve culture. It's no. not trying to erase culture and create a new culture culture in the sense of like it's it, culture in the sense of yes, from a heart perspective, right? You want to change the ethos of a group of people from the inside out and make the one thing that transcends all things, love and charity and goodness and peace and all those things. But inherent to the culture that we've created, meaning, um, the, the way communities dance and eat and the way that we, have creative arts and all of these things. I, I think that those are beautiful things inherent in culture that God loves and wants to preserve. I, I think that that's the beauty of it. Like I was saying, if you look to the future where all things are brought together as one, where all things are made right, that the renewal of all things, we will see not a bunch of people wearing white robes with, uh, you know, wings and feathers with halos on their head and all looking very homogenous, but it's going to be a very diverse racially, culturally, where we celebrate the uniqueness of culture, but do it with love. And I think for me, that's what is aspirational for the present is that I would love to bring that kind of beauty right now. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Well, that's that. why I'm here, Paul. When, when I don't forget what I'm going to say, sometimes it turns out kind of good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's beautiful <laughs> when you remember, right? When I remember. <laughs> so I, I know that you'll be listening to this, uh, you know, uh, later than the time that we're recording it. But this Saturday is Juneteenth, right? Yeah, man. It's a day of celebration freedom, right? And I think that's an amazing thing as somebody who has never been a slave, never been um, looked down upon by the color of my skin. Uh, it's a day of celebration for, for those who have found freedom. And I want to do everything in my power to celebrate that. Mm. And that's the type of thing that the kingdom is a part of. It's celebrating the diversity and celebrating the uniqueness and not feeling threatened. Uh, but to be joyous because we're all brought in to be one family, regardless of our differences. I think it's a good place to end it. Let's do it. Connect with Paul on Twitter at Paul Desay and with Brandon at Brandon Andrus. Or send an email to the way it ought to be podcast at gmail.com. Please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. We look forward to you joining this conversation.